0: Not quite, W7. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. Don't make it personal.
1: Dame Judi Dench is a British actor who played M in the James Bond series for 20 years.
2: And she was so great in the role that she was the only cast member carried through from the old films to Casino Royale.
1: Now in her 80s, she's starting to lose her eyesight to a disease that affects tens of thousands of Australians, age-related macular degeneration.
2: At first, she had difficulty seeing faces and then reading was tricky, so someone would read her scripts aloud to her. She was getting eye injections to slow the
1: disease, but eventually she had to give up driving, something she described as one of the most traumatic moments of her life. But she just knew that she was going to kill someone if she got behind the wheel, she
2: said. Now she can no longer read the newspaper, read books or do crosswords, but she seems to have a stiff upper lip attitude to it, and she's saying, you know, you just cope.
0: Bond, this may be too much for a blunt instrument to understand but arrogance and self-awareness seldom go hand-in-hand. Utter one more syllable and I'll have you killed.
1: This is The Medical Republic. I'm Felicity.
2: And I'm Francine.
1: This week we're discussing age-related macular degeneration, specifically how GPs are often the missing link in preventing this disease from causing vision loss and blindness.
2: So the bad news is that age-related macular degeneration is the leading cause of blindness and severe vision loss in Australia. And it's responsible for about 50% of all cases of blindness. And the dry form unfortunately can't really be treated.
1: But the good news is that there are some really effective treatments available for the wet form of the disease, uh, and they've been PBS listed since 2007.
2: So first things first, how common is it, Felicity?
1: So around 15% of Australians over the age of 80 experience vision loss or blindness from macular degeneration, and one in seven over the age of 50 are in the early stages of the disease.
2: Yeah, and I mean, there are two types of that late stage macular degeneration, isn't there?
1: Yeah, so there's the atrophic form, that's the dry form, and then there's the neovascular form, which is the wet form. Um, So the dry form is caused by the gradual loss of retinal cells, which affects central vision. Um, And then the wet form occurs when fragile blood vessels form and leak fluid under the retina, leading to a rapid loss of central vision. So the wet variety is less common and affects 10% of patients with macular degeneration.
2: And what are the current treatments available?
1: So there's two treatments that are PBS listed, um, Lucentist and ILEA. So these are both antivascular endothelial growth factor agents that are administered through eye injections by the ophthalmologist.
2: Okay, so now we've covered a little bit of the background. Uh, can we talk about the role of GPs in all of this and those treatment strategies that you've just mentioned?
1: Yeah, so basically we've got these beautiful treatments for macular degeneration at the moment. Um, So there was this landmark study, the Marinus trial, for one of these drugs in the US and it found that the drug prevented severe vision loss in the majority of patients with macular degeneration over two years. Without the eye injections, around three quarters of patients with wet AMD would be blind within about two years. So it's extraordinarily successful if it's started early.
2: Yeah, and when you look at the data at the moment, there are a lot of people that are starting the treatment.
1: Yeah, so in 2017, around 50,000 Australians started treatment for wet AMD. So they were getting these eye injections um, and around 11,500 of those were new patients. But, yeah, you have to keep going back to the ophthalmologist every few months for the rest of your life to get these injections if you want to stop the risk of going blind.
2: I mean, you'd think that the constant fear that you could go blind if you don't constantly seek out these treatments would be enough to persuade patients with AMD to, you know, continuously adhere to treatments. But I imagine that, you know, as with any disease, once the symptoms start to disappear, you know, a false confidence can ensue and people... May hesitate or not go back to their treating doctor.
1: Yeah, and when you look at the graph of returning patients year on year, the it just sort of drops off over time. Um, part of that is because patients pass away because um, they're over the age of eighty. Some of them will just drop out. But in the first year, there's a sort of thirty to forty percent drop immediately, um, and most of those patients really should be coming back for treatment. So. This is really that gap that GPs can be addressing. You know, how do we get those 40% of patients to keep returning so that they retain their um, vision?
2: Yeah, I mean, the obvious one that kind of comes to mind is that I would imagine that a lot of these patients are pensioners and, you know, even as a young person visiting a specialist that many times a year would be horrendous. So I can't imagine for some of these people over 80 Um, being able to afford the amount of appointments needed to seek these uh, consistent injections. Is that a problem?
1: Yeah, so a lot of ophthalmologists wouldn't have bulk billing. Some of them do, but yeah, the cost would be one factor that would be keeping patients away. There are lots of other factors as well. It's a time in people's lives where there's transitions into nursing homes, into aged care. Um, Often patients are going in for hip surgeries and that's Those disruptions are when they're likely to drop out of a regular treatment. So, yeah, the ophthalmologists say that GPs have a real role in bringing them back Mm. into the fold, particularly if they're moving from where they've lived to another area, they need a new ophthalmologist potentially.
2: So how could GPs maybe find one of their patients, maybe a bulk billing ophthalmologist or basically just get some more information about how to... Better provide consistent care for these patients.
1: So a really great place to go is the Macular Disease Foundation Australia. So they've got a national helpline that GPs can call to try and get some help in terms of where to send patients who have various barriers to getting these treatments. So they can try and help find a bulk billing ophthalmologist. Um, And so I, I spoke with Dee Hopkins, the CEO of the foundation. Uh, so this morning, I've I've gone down to the uh, offices of the Macular Disease Foundation to catch up with Dee Hopkins, who's the Chief Executive Officer here. Um, welcome to the show, Dee. Thank you. Um, so today we're talking about macular disease, focusing on uh, the wet form of the disease, which is the one that is treatable. Um, do you want to... St- To start by giving us a little background about um, what you do here at the Macular Disease Foundation.
0: Sure. Well, we have been founded back in 2001. We've been around for now 18 years. Um, We're pretty much the patient advocacy group here in Australia for uh, the community uh, who have macular disease or those at risk or living with We have four pillars of work. Our first part is prevention and early detection because the earlier people can be detected, it reduces their risk of uh, future vision loss. So we do a lot of work around prevention and intervention. The second pillar is around supports and helping people manage uh, living optimally with immaculate condition. The third pillar is around advocacy so influencing health policy to support people living well and um, so very much I'm down to Canberra quite a lot Um, The the, the fourth and and by no means the least important is our pillar around research. So we generate um, a lot of funds through donations and bequests um, for the purpose of research because at some stage in the future we'd like to think there was a cure for this. Um, And so they're the four pillars of our work what
1: can GPs do to be, you know, advocates and sort of step in and, and help out maybe by I don't know, finding a different ophthalmologist or that sort of thing?
0: Well, I think GPs are extremely busy and time poor as we know um, and that's why we want to work more closely with gps because we actually provide individual advocacy for people as well um, to help them and empower them uh, to negotiate with their ophthalm their, their treating doctor the ophthalmologist and um, if they're they're struggling uh, financially um, because the issue with this treatment is it's not like you have to have a few treatments and that's it. It's for your, the rest of your life if you want to retain vision. So I think, the, the, you know, we would be very happy to work with GPs, uh, link them in to people we know that are perhaps bulk billing, um, you know, and, and help them negotiate, uh, 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 you know, um, with, with their ophthalmologist so that we can ensure ongoing adherence
1: sure so does that mean the gp can give you you as a foundation
0: a call and and absolutely absolutely um we we often take calls um from a lot of people saying that they can't and we help them navigate and really sometimes many times most times actually the ophthalmologist will say look let's work out something that you can afford. But it's not always about uh, the affordability. It is sometimes an access point issue, uh, particularly for people in, in rural areas um, who may not have access uh, to, to many or any uh, ophthalmologists. So uh, again, we can help people and link them in where we can. And how long have you been the CEO here um, I started uh, in two thousand and eighteen so um, only less than a couple of years um, and I was very motivated uh, to accept this position and apply for it because uh, i'm uh, my own father had um, uh, neovascular AMD. Um, in fact, unfortunately, this is before the anti-VEGF drug, So he went. He he was basically legally blind. Mm-hmm. So inherently, I now have a fifty. I'd have a fifty percent risk myself.
1: Sure. Okay. That's interesting.
0: What GPs can do is identify. The classics, uh, the classic risk factors in patients, so the over 50s, the smokers, the, di- the people with diabetes. Um, so all of those people are inherently at risk.
2: And I know the Macular Disease Foundation in Australia also supplies fridge magnets to GPs and patients online, which are free AMSLA grids.
1: Yeah, so an Amsler grid is something that you can use to test whether your vision is deteriorating. So I actually went online and ordered one of these for my mum and I'm going to get her to stick it on her fridge. Um,
2: Merry Christmas, Mum. <laughs> yeah,
1: Merry Christmas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Felicity, you also spoke to an ophthalmologist for this story.
1: Yeah, so I got Professor Paul Mitchell, a clinical ophthalmologist at Westmead Clinical School at the University of Sydney on the phone and he had a few really useful
2: tips for GPs. So we'll share a few snippets from that interview after this quick break.
1: So the history of ophthalmology has a few oddballs in it, just like every specialty. But let me introduce you, Francine, to John Taylor. So John Taylor was an oculist and a charlatan of 18th century Britain. He used to give patients eye drops of blood from slaughtered pigeons, pulverised sugar or baked salt –
2: that's disgusting.
1: <laughs> so unfortunately the famous composers Bach and Handel were both referred to John Taylor after developing cataracts in the seventeen fifties. No way. No, seriously. Um and it's believed that his surgeries, which were pretty dodgy, contributed to their deaths shortly afterwards.
2: I can't believe that this guy killed Bach.
1: <laughs> well look, killed Bach. I think he made him really depressed. Um which is still pretty awful. So in these surgeries, he would use a technique called couching, which is where the clouded lens is dislodged. It's uh, a technique that's largely been abandoned today, and he charged pretty high fees for this service, and he was a big self-promoter of the 18th century. Um, But in an interesting twist of fate, he went blind himself and died in poverty in
2: 1772. Just a lesson for all quack physicians out there. (laughs) so let's get back to our uh, topic for today what insights did professor paul mitchell from the university of sydney have for gps
1: So one of the most important messages for GPs is that older patients reporting funny issues with their eyes really have to be treated as if they have an eye emergency. So if patients over the age of 50 start to see a funny dark patch or a kink in the centre of their vision, or if they start having difficulty reading or doing things that they'd normally do with fine vision, then they should be referred to an ophthalmologist immediately, is what he says.
3: If people are known to have early macular degeneration and they're in that older age group and they notice distortion, a dark patch in their vision, or sudden vision loss, you know, the, in one eye, that, that, that's the symptoms. That, and we really think those people need to be seen. It needs to be regarded like an ophthalmic emergency. They're not to be seen that day, but that week or the next week is, the sort of, is a priority
1: level. So things have really changed over the past decade as well. The treatments are much better. So here's Professor Mitchell with a bit of the history.
3: What happened 12 years ago um, was that, uh, and was actually happening in the years, in the three or four years before that, um, it was predicted that one of the factors that was found associated um, with the progression to the late stage, the wet form, uh, was a growth factor released into the retina. And um, it was named, it was given a, a different name initially, but subsequently was named vascular endothelial growth factor and it was found that this cytokine was actually released into the outer retina at the time of this progression and it was the underlying factor or one of the important underlying factors that led to progression to the late stage and the damage that occurred once a new vessel grew under the retina, hemorrhage and then subsequent scarring. It was predicted at that time that you could develop an antibody to it and that would block its action. Contrary to what was expected, that this would only be one factor and we'd have to um, attack many other factors. In fact, blocking VEGF is extremely effective. So what the pivotal trials showed, both showed Quite markedly effective ability to stop this disease, to stop vision loss, and also to improve vision in a large number of people. And certainly in preventing severe loss of vision, it was extremely effective. If 95% of people by the end of year one had not developed um, severe vision loss, which was completely different to the natural history, in which by one year um, and certainly by two years, about um, Three quarters of people would be blind from the disease, untreated.
2: Wow, that's amazing. And what sort of signs do GPs and patients need to look out for? So in the early stages
1: of the disease, uh, there might be no symptoms. That's why you'll see people using an AMSLID grid um, and often people go and get their eyes tested regularly just to make sure that nothing's going on. Um, But as wet MD progresses, there can be some telltale signs and I'll let Professor Mitchell explain what those are.
3: The signs that we can see as um, a retina specialist or as an ophthalmologist are uh, we see hemorrhage at the retina, at the macular region, which is the very central part of the retina. Um, hemorrhage, or we see um, some exudates, some fatty deposits, or we see fluid that's accumulated uh, at that area. And that's associated with reduced vision. And then over time, untreated. you you see progression to scarring, which causes more permanent vision loss. And the problem is that the progression to the scar stage can occur within really weeks. Weeks to months, um, people get an untreatable scar. So the best chance of treating this disease is soon after symptoms develop. So there are the three main symptoms. The first is because this elevation at the back of the eye is a bit irregular, it causes a change in the shape of objects. So, if someone's looking, for example, at a door frame, they will see the door frame being buckled a bit in the middle as they look directly at it. Or on the horizon, looking at a ship out at sea, they see the horizon will have a little buckle or bend in it as they look directly at that area. So that's called, we call that distortion. The medical word is metamorphopsia. Um, And the other symptom that people often notice is as they look directly at something, then they'll see a dark or grayish or brownish patch in the middle of that area. Or it might be just off-center. If the new vessel is broken through under one edge of the center, then it might be just slightly off-center. So they see a dark, or brown or greyish patch in the middle of what they're looking at, in the middle of someone's face, or in the middle of you know something they see on the printed page, and that's called that that that's called a scotoma, um, uh, and and s c o t o m a, and that is um, a typical symptom of the onset of wet macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, people notice that the vision in the affected eye um, suddenly becomes worse, so they'll notice relatively recent, sudden, or developing vision loss. So distortion of straight lines, dark or greyish patch, scotoma, or a vision loss, they're the symptoms.
2: And I have to ask the obvious, does it hurt the patients to get an injection into their eyeball? You think it would, but actually it's pretty painless.
3: Now, the treatment involves injecting this drug into the eye, through the white part about four millimeters back from the clear part back from the cornea mm-hmm. and um so we give local anesthetic we give antiseptic first and local anesthetic drops and really that's enough for most people to stop any pain and it's a very fast injection. People, you know, you can distract people while they are about to do it and bang, do it, and you say, oh, have you done it already, doctor? You mm-hmm. know, oh, I didn't feel anything. And, and it's quite amazing. Someone could be watching this, a relative, and say, "Wow, well, I can't believe she didn't feel it. The problem with this therapy is that it's extremely effective, but it needs to be repeated. Mm-hmm. And it only lasts um, a month or two or three. And it is essentially lifelong treatment. And some people lose vision because of loss of cells, atrophy, and that's the dry form of macular degeneration, which at the moment we don't have an answer for. Um, But the majority of people can hold vision pretty well.
1: So we're almost done with this topic, but before we go, here are a few takeaways for GPs from Professor Mitchell.
3: So what are the things that GPs can do? I think general practitioners need to understand about this disease. It's quite common. Um, A lot of their patients will need treatment. They need to really try and keep them on board. They can also work with them about what are some of the impediments to people continuing therapy. Much of the reason for people dropping out is that maybe they just haven't been educated well enough about how important this is. There's the tyranny of distance issues. There's the burden of therapy, but there's also out of pocket costs. And and we know that that's actually a major problem. And for many ophthalmologists, there are out of pocket costs. My clinic, we bulk bill people, and there are many other clinics that bulk bill people. So GPs can learn about that. Or alternatively, they can go back to the ophthalmologist and say, look, you know, I think actually. This person's having a problem as likely as dropping out because of the cost. Can you help? And in that case, I think most ophthalmologists would say, okay, all right, well, we can reduce the cost and try to reduce that that problem. And on that note,
2: that brings us to the end of this episode.
1: As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify or on the TMR website or follow us on Twitter and we'd love to hear your feedback. Catch you next week.
0: You can only return to duty when you've passed the tests. So take them seriously.